Talmor, Sheshin Mugachi. Talmor is my home. My family have worked the land for generations. My grand says the island does not belong to us, but we belong to the island. And we must be ready for a great evil is coming. And death follows with it. Listen and subscribe to the latest season of Undertow, The Harrowing, a story glass production presented by Realm, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Alexis Ohanian. You may know me as one of the co-founders of Reddit, but more recently, a large part of my identity is being a father to my wonderful daughters. In my podcast, Business Dad, I hope to open the conversation about working parents a bit. You'll get to hear from a wide range of business dads, from Rain Wilson and Guy Raz to Todd Carmichael and Shane Battier, to find out how they balance being a dad with a successful career. Business Dad is available now, so be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome to a brand new episode of the Geek Buddies. We're back at it again, back to our normal show, our first post Comic Con normal show uh, we're doing here now uh, for the Geek Buddies. We're excited you all are joining us to hang out with us and listen to our uh, conversations about geekdom and the things going on in the world of geekdom. For sure, although the show is going to push the boundaries of geekdom a little bit as we get into the topics for sure as we go along. But we got so much to cover here, so let's introduce ourselves. I am the Outlaw John Roker, writer, producer, and host here on the Outlaw Nation and the Geek Buddies. Mike? I am Michael Vogel. I'm a writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies. And Shannon? And this is Shannon McClung. I'm a television actor and an animation writer. Or my latest episode of Strawberry Shortcake, Barry in the Big City, dropped over the weekend. And it's one I'm very, very proud of. Nice, nice. It's a cute one. <laughs> and we're also very proud to continue our partnership with Carbon Health, who powers and sponsors the Geek Buddies and the Outlaw Nation. If you've got any questions for the, about your health care, any concerns about your health care, head on over to CarbonHealth.com. Get it checked out today. You can do it virtually. You can do it in person. Sometimes day of appointments are available depending on where your clinic is. they got over 125 clinics all over the United States, 80 plus in California alone. They're offering COVID testing. Lord knows I just got off a boat and I'm super worried in five days I might test positive. So you know how it is. So if I do, I got to go get a test if I need to from Carbon Health to make sure I'm okay. But yeah, those are the things you can get from you. Plus you can down from them rather. You can, you can download an app as well. They have a doc in your pocket for any of those healthcare questions or concerns or needs that pop up while you're on the road. They love to power and sponsor us here on the Geek Buddies because they like being a part of a community that's very uplifting and supportive. And certainly that's what we like to have our brand be here on the Geek Buddies for the most part, for sure. So go to CarbonHealth.com and get it handled. Um, gentlemen, before we jump into the way the show, before we jump into the show and listen to the way the show works as each of us talks about a geek news item, we take a break and jump into our main topic. And our main topic is absolutely that Andor first official trailer here for the series. So we're going to break that thing down on our main topic. And we've got some, some geek news topics to talk about for sure in the first half. But uh, we'd be remiss not to start 
with a little bit of sad news. Well, actually, some big sad news for sure is the passing of Nichelle Nichols, a.k.a. Uhura from Star Trek. Uh, she was 89 years old, died of heart failure, uh, and someone who left an incredible legacy as one of the first black African-American women on screen sharing an interracial kiss, being a series regular on a, on a well-known popular show for three years, and someone who Martin Luther King Jr. himself told her to stay on the show when she was questioning whether she was being challenged enough as an actress on that show. She stayed on that show. And one more thing to note about that show, a very diverse show with an Asian lead, a black female lead, a Russian accented guy. You know, you had some diversity here, plus not to mention all the different species and the different looks of them. So, gentlemen, think, uh, what comes to mind when you think about Michelle Nichols, when you think about the legacy of Uhura, which, of course, Zoe Saldana is uh, playing in the um, in the Star Trek version with J.J. Abrams. And, of course, we have a new Uhura in the Star uh, Strange New World Star Trek series on Paramount+. Plus. So, uh, Mike, I'll go to you first. Thoughts on Michelle Nichols passing and her legacy here, not only as Uhura, but as a uh, trailblazing African-American actress? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's 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 sad when anybody that you kind of grew up with passes on, and it's definitely true of Nichelle Nichols. And everything you said, I mean, you know, she... Well, I guess what I love about her so much, uh, I think what she represents is just the fact that you know, we talk about geeky stuff all day and we spend most of our time talking about Marvel universes and galaxies far, far away and superheroes with amazing powers. And a lot of people sometimes can be like, you know, like with everything going on in the world, uh, what does all this stuff really matter? Yeah. And I think Nichelle Nichols kind of represents exactly why it matters. I think that uh, seeing her on screen in Star Trek when it came out, along with everybody else, along with Gene Roddenberry's dream of like showing this like super diverse cast, like it made a difference. Yeah. It affected people. Uh, you know, she went on to work with NASA uh, yes. to recruit uh, to female astronauts, uh, minority astronauts, astronauts of color. You know, she actually uh, took what she did in a fictional universe on screen and helped bring that into the reality of the space program that we have today. And I think that, uh, you know, in so many ways, we kind of undercut sometimes how powerful representation in our fictional worlds can be in our real world. And so I think that's what I think a lot about her uh, and her passing, because, uh, you know, there was growing up to me, there was never any question that she belonged on the bridge of the Enterprise. Like she was a horror. That was yeah. her job. That's who yeah. she was. Uh, so definitely sad to see her go, but definitely glad uh, that she did live long and she did prosper. <laughs> For sure. Shannon, what are your thoughts when you think about Nichelle Nichols, a, a woman who, you know, came out of Chicago, was a dancer, was an actor, was a performer, found her way into this position and really left an incredible legacy for many generations of, of black African-American performers to follow here. Um, I mean, you can obviously talk about her career, but you can also talk about the effect she had on people in the real world. Mm. And yeah, sure. May Jemison, who was the first Af female African-American uh, astronaut, uh, credits Uhura in Star Trek for being the inspiration for her to pursue that. The fact oh, yeah. that, you know, you talk about diversity and inclusion mattering, and this is one of those cases where, you know, I, 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 wanna, I think May Jemison was from Chicago as well. Mm. Um, but, I mean, you know, she grew up watching this black woman on screen and use that as sort of the launch pad to, to propel her to this, in, you know, incredible career she had as being the first uh, black woman to go into space for the U S space program. So, you know, that's just one of the, that's just one of the um, examples of people seeing someone that looks like them on screen 
and that being the driving force to help them pursue their dreams. Yeah, and not just the TV series, right? Let's not, we'd be remiss not to bring up the movies, the six movies that she was a part of for sure and and uh, decorated with her presence, with her energy. I mean, the less said about Star Trek V, the better, but the other five films, certainly she got to stand out in really powerful and unique ways and had some great exchanges and was always there with a quip or a comment or a moment there to kind of uh, throw in some other possible ideas or points of views on situations and it was always great to have her be a part of this and this is a woman with incredible legacy as a performer certainly working with the likes of duke ellington and then going on and doing broadway going on and doing a number of stage performances in numerous plays like porgy and bess and other legendary uh uh uh, uh plays or musicals and certainly that's a great groundwork and then of course doing more and more stuff here as she got on even appeared in heroes that series from the mid-2000s she had an appearance in there as well so certainly leaving uh, touching a, a lot of tentacles there coming out from Nichelle Nichols to a lot of places working from Duke Ellington all, through NASA all the way to now in 2022 passing on at 89 years old so an incredible legacy for sure and one that uh, will be influencing people as Shannon just said here for multiple generations I think for years to come gentlemen any final words on this uh we no, got just, it you know, I, I okay. think uh like I said, I mean, like I said, right. live long and prosper, Nichelle. There you go. There you go. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right. Well, let's move on to our main topics here. Uh, Mikey, I think you're going to start us off. Is that correct? I am. So, you know, now that we have uh, left Comic-Con, where Marvel uh, once again made their mark on the world of geekdom, <laughs> uh, the Marvel news is probably going to keep flowing. It's going to go all the way into, into uh, D23. It's just going to keep on coming. We're going to get lots of new information. And even in the past couple of weeks since Comic-Con, mm. uh, the past week or so, we've gotten a lot of information. Uh, came out right after Comic-Con. Um, that Dustin Daniel Cretton, who directed Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, will be directing uh, Avengers The Kang Dynasty, the first in the two Avengers movies uh, that are going to close out Phase 6 and close out the multiverse arc. Um, So that was really, really big news. I know a lot of people were kind of hoping that the Russo brothers were going to come back and do the one-two punch with the Avengers movies that they did with Infinity War and Endgame. Um, And there was a lot of nervousness that if it wasn't going to be the Russo brothers, were we going to have a director who... uh, who he or she was going to be able to handle such a huge movie. Um, And I think that Kevin Feige clearly has a lot of faith in uh, Dustin Daniel Cretton, but most people online seem really jazzed about it. I think for most people, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings is a really, really well done, fun movie. It's got a lot of action. It's got the right Marvel humor. So seeing him stepping into uh, Avengers The Kang Dynasty, I think people are feeling generally pretty good about that um of course he doesn't uh just get to jump right into that right away he will also sometime between now and then um be doing shang chi part two as well as uh helming a wonder man series for uh for marvel so definitely a lot to chew on right there all in and of itself but Let's also throw into the mix that Kevin Feige came out and said that as far as Fantastic Four, which is going to kick off phase six of the multiverse arc in the Marvel Universe, um, it is not going to be an origin story. So much like they did when they brought Spider-Man into the Marvel Universe, Spider-Man had already had two other versions through Sony that had kind of traversed the origin story. Fantastic Four through Fox has had two movie franchises that did something, but they covered the origin story. Um, And so just like with Spider-Man, they are not going to kind of try and tell that Fantastic Four story over again. 
Um, we're gonna have the Fantastic Four already be existing in some capacity. What that means, uh, where they're going to be placed in the MCU, if they will be in our universe or another universe, where they're going to show up and how they're going to show up. Lots of questions still to be answered, but um, as we all start looking towards the end of this multiverse arc and Secret Wars, which is coming, uh, all of this gives us a whole lot to chew on. Uh, and like I said, I think this is just the beginning of what we will be chewing on, but gentlemen, what do you think about uh, all of the Marvel news coming out post the Marvel panel in Comic Con? Yeah, uh, Shan. Um, you know, I mean, the it was it was funny that the Marvel panel was on Saturday, and then yeah. I want to say was it Sunday or Monday that the announcement came out that Dustin Daniel Critton was going to be directing uh, Kang Dynasty. So you wonder, like, oh, was this deal was the ink not dry on that contract, and maybe that's <laughs> one of the reasons they didn't yeah. announce it on Saturday, and. Yeah, I think everyone everyone has wanted the Russo brothers to come back to do Secret Wars because that is something that they have said in many times in interviews. That is something they would like to come back to. Yeah. And, you know, Kevin Feige, there was that interview where he said they are not going to be doing these Avengers movies. Like, we're still big fans of each other. We still want to find something to work on together. It's just not going to be that. But also, Andrew Garfield said he wasn't going to be in Spider-Man No Way Home for a year. So, <laughs> you know, a, a, a lot can change. Um, the I, I know there were not alarm bells, but sir, some folks were kind of like, well, why isn't Cretton not doing both of them? And I want to say the difference between Infinity War, the Infinity War in-game two-hander versus the Kang Dynasty Secret Wars two-hander is there was a year in yeah. between Infinity War and Endgame with uh, Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars. As of right now, I mean, these dates could change, but they're six months. Yeah. So it seems like whatever that production schedule is going to be, it seems like maybe it might not be physically possible mm. for the same director to tackle both of those films. And that being said, I mean, there's a lot of um, exciting conversations about who's going to take over Secret Wars then. I mean, I know Ryan Coogler's been mentioned. People have mentioned John Watts. I mean, yeah. or somebody brand new. I mean, it, it seems like it would probably be somebody they had worked with before and someone that Feige and company trusted. Right. Um but yeah, I mean that's that's still really really exciting, and despite the fact that some is the, a little bit of like the phase four malaise for for, for some folks, um, that panel certainly got everybody jazzed again, and you can start to kind of see like okay, may okay maybe this is maybe you do know what you're doing, <laughs> you know after after twenty some odd movies, maybe you know what you're doing. In, in terms of uh, Destin Daniel Critton, don't forget like he also. I don't, I don't think he's helming it, but I mean, there's still the, the 10 rings series that had yeah. soared a bit. Yeah, there was, yeah. Yeah. With the sister. Yeah. 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 And so like, did, did they say he was actually going to be helming Wonder Man? Or is I he don't, producing well, Wonder I think he's Man? producing. I don't know if they've said he's directing yet. I'll have to look that up for sure. But yeah, I mean, certainly he's executive producing this thing. I mean, and it seems like he's going to be a, a, a very busy individual for the next few years. But yeah. also thinking back to Shang-Chi, I mean, the thing that I think Shang-Chi did so very well was making something that was not like a Marvel movie, but felt like a Marvel movie. It was yeah. it was a corner of the universe that had not really been explored. And it came, you know, it finished and it seemed like everyone really, really liked it. And people are excited to see more of what uh, Simu Liu has to offer. And so... Yeah. This all of this information, I mean, it's again, it's exciting to the Fantastic Four of it. 
it's interesting how Kevin Feige was saying, like, well, people know this origin story. Like, I don't feel like they've ever really done it correctly <laughs> um, because oh. the the uh, Trank version seems like it took its cues more from the Ultimates with, like, kind of the uh, uh, alternative dimensions. Mm. Um, like, I, you know, I'm a big fan of a launch sequence. You know, <laughs> the three of us love Armageddon. The sure. fact that we've never seen the four of them in a spaceship that's been launched from the earth. Like, I'm like, oh, I really would have liked to have seen that. Mm. However, depending on what the phase five, phase six story calls for, maybe maybe they don't need that origin story. Maybe they need to hit the ground running and they don't. Ha- we don't have time to watch them get hit by the rays to see if... Uh, to see if they get powers. So, you know, again, very exciting. I'm certainly curious about what's going to be announced at D23. Are we going to get that cast announcement? Because what is it? November, 2024. Fantastic four is supposed to come out. I mean, that's going to be here before you know it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're almost at Christmas for God's sakes. Let that sink in. Um, Yeah. I mean, the, the the whole D23 presentation just got announced about an hour ago. It's going to be on Saturday, September 10th at 10 a.m. They've also got some other Marvel panels there, like the backlog stage, a little celebration of 60 years of the amazing Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. Remember, Spider-Man still connected to the MCU. So there's a lot here they're going to focus on on D23 for sure. We'll see if they're going to announce a cast list. I think it'd be a little premature. still two years out. I think that's, that's a, is there a rush here to announce the cast? I don't know if there's a rush here. Let's get out of phase four, and then maybe you can make the announcement then and start working towards them. Unless maybe... They're, they do these announcements now because they anticipate they're going to bring these characters in before we see them in their own movie. I don't know. There's a lot of possibilities when you're exploring this, especially when now you've taken the uh, the uh, breaks off that you have to have the origin story first in order to tell. You're saying no origin story. And yeah, it may not have, and I hear you, Shane, it may not have been told correctly either way that you've seen it, but people get the gist of it. And I think what that that's how they launched Spider-Man, right? We had seen two different origin stories for Spider-Man same thing like okay here he is he's already spider-man let's roll with it let's deal with it you know and so i think that's a nice and interesting and fun approach that's worked for them before so why not do it again and let people catch up it doesn't mean you can't do a back flashback or something like that but you don't have to necessarily do the origin story from the beginning we know they're these characters let's deal with it um and i wonder how they're going to weave them into the mcu for sure the other why don't you want the launch john why don't you want to watch watch the launch i don't know I've seen enough launches with SpaceX and everything. I'm done. I'm kind of I'm kind of over it by now. But um, the other part of this is the Destin Daniel Cretton thing. That's been dancing around in my, my mind for quite some time for the last few days here because I'm wondering about what Shang-Chi's role is going to be in all of this. Is he going to become, as, this, um, as these phases progress, the pseudo Iron Man slash Tony Stark who's showing up in all these movies? Do they anticipate that Simu Liu had, had such a positive reaction for people that they want Shang-Chi to be more a part of this. Certainly the rings, uh, Michael and Shannon, as we saw connecting up with Ms. Marvel, connecting up in that uh, in that uh, uh, action, in this uh, post-credit sequence from the movie. There's more to tell here, and the connective tissues are spreading out more and more from these rings, uh, and I wonder how much of that is going to come into play here that they're going to have to tell the story from in these multiple movies. Having Shang-Chi in there will certainly help with that as well. Is Shang-Chi going to become maybe the leader of one section of the Avengers or what have you, all of that is in play, especially if it's Avengers Avengers Kang Dynasty. You want the person who's been working in essence. Because, I mean, the Russo brothers, in essence, were working with Captain America as their lead, so they're you know, putting him as one of the co-leads of the Avengers in 
in the Avengers films makes all the sense in the world uh, because they know how they crafted this character in their own separate series. So I think Shang-Chi may end up being a, one of the main leaders in this whatever version of Avengers is coming up that's not Young Avengers that they're going to use in this, especially if there's a Secret Wars aspect to it all. How is that all going to play itself out? So that gets me excited to see more of Shang-Chi for sure. Um, yeah, and those are my thoughts overall on this one. And I'm, you know, all of this is just a lot of fun. I love that we already dropped a new clip for She-Hulk yesterday. So as we're recording this yesterday, which makes, which the CGI is already a thousand times better. There's great chemistry between Ruffalo and Maslany. And so already you can see Marvel almost feels reborn or refreshed after that uh, Hall H panel. And they, all, all guns are blazing and everyone's back excited to see what we're going to get. And that's what you really want. Mike, you've been an executive. You know that. You want people, if they've been a little bit, and as you said, the malaise, now there's an excitement here to jump back in and see what we got coming up. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, Marvel, you know, once again, kind of showing that they really know their audience. Like, yeah. there was absolutely that malaise. We had talked about it. Well, where is Phase 4 going? What are all these different pieces? Where do they fit in? And they came out with a panel that really clearly said... Well, uh, the Ten Rings and Shang-Chi are going to be super important because the guy who's directing them is directing one of the Avengers movies. Yeah. Uh, the movie is called The Kang Dynasty. So, yeah, that Kang guy, <laughs> he's going to be really important. Uh, and, yeah, you know Julie Louise Dreyfus, She's putting together the Thunderbolts. That's rounding out Phase 5. So they kind of came in and made some really key announcements that, like, dropped some of the pieces into place. Yeah. Uh, and now... Every new bit they give us just adds more conjecture. I mean, kind of to what your point, I'm, I'm kind of with you, John, and less with Shannon on, yes, the Fantastic Four origin story has not been done well, but we know they go to space and they get powers. Yeah. And so we don't really need to see them go to space and get powers again. What comes next? Right. Also, if you did read Jonathan Hickman's uh, Secret Wars, whether or not they're going to go with this or not, read Richard and Sue Storm's kids uh, particularly Valeria, play a pretty important part in that story. So there may be a big piece of this where they wanted to have these people established already and they wanted to have the fantastic family because they wanted that to lead into things. Um, and I think Shannon's absolutely right as far as uh, Daniel Dustin, uh, Dustin Daniel Cretton right, doing the one movie and not the second. They're very close together. Mm. Um, and I think the big difference there is with Infinity War and Endgame, uh, you were still able to sort of put two movies in the middle of those. Uh, given what happens in Secret Wars, I have a feeling that when we get to the end of the Kang Dynasty, we might have just destroyed the entire multiverse. So <laughs> That's a good point. There's yeah, not a lot of right, movies yeah. that you can slot in when all of existence has come to a stop. So I think that we're probably not going to have a few movies. We're not going to get our Captain Marvel and Ant-Man and the Wasp. We're going to be like, well, everything has ended. And here is Secret Wars. So it's going to be really interesting to see. But yeah, I, I agree. I, I'm, I'm very anxiously awaiting what they're going to say at, uh, at D23. I can't wait to see what's going to fill these other slots. And I do, John, agree with you. I think that yeah. Shang-Chi into Shang-Chi 2 into whatever else is happening, I think he will be playing a very central role in what's to come in phase uh, 4, 5, and 6. That's what it feels like, right? And because and, and, you know, they signed an overall deal with him. So they clearly have a lot of faith 
in Destin, Destin Daniel Cretton as a filmmaker and as a creator, period. Yeah, he's, they haven't announced that he's going to be directing, to follow up on your question, Shannon, they haven't announced he's going to be directing the series. Andrew Guest is going to be the head writer and one of the executive producers, but it is Destin Daniel Cretton who is crafting the series. So they haven't announced if he's going to direct yet. So he, he's at least one of the creators yeah. and executive producers. So that tells you how much faith they have. Because I imagine Wonder Man is going to come into play. Wonder Man with his brother having connections to Wanda. There's a lot here to play with with Wonder Man here if they do it right. And I wonder who they're going to cast as Wonder Man because I, I that's one of my closet favorite West Coast Avengers characters. And I'm like, who? There are so many possibilities to go with this character because he's a Hollywood stuntman guy who also has these superpowers. I think it's going to be a lot of fun if, uh, who, wondering who they cast well, and when they cast, what his role is going to be in those phase fives and six. Yeah. And I wondering, think, I think, eh? Oh, there's rumors. Don't shoot me. Don't shoot the messenger. There's rumors that Cavill is in convert. There's rumors that Cavill is being considered oh. here. If you There's also rumors, rumors that he was going to show up in Hall H, and we saw how those rumors turned not out. Not credible so. rumors. Not credible rumors that he was going to show up. That was uh, but I do and think, I mean, I think you are right. Like, I think part of the reason that he, <laughs> you you start to see that, that Dustin Daniel Cretton is sort of shaping the road towards these Avengers movies. Like he's attached to Wonder Man because he's helping craft the story. And like yeah, what yeah. really that, to me, what that sounds like it means is like they know the roadmap that they're using to get to a certain place in the story. And the directors uh, and the creative teams that are the closest to the characters and the storylines that are the most important get to craft more of it. To yeah. Like that's why the Russo brothers were so integral because from Winter Soldier to Civil War, like that was a direct road to Infinity War. And obviously what Taika did in Thor and what James Gunn did in Guardians and what Coogler did in Black Panther also was really essential. Yeah. But I think what you're seeing is this story of Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings and whatever they represent and how they're tied to Miss Marvel's bangle and what's going on with his sister kind of rebuilding the right. Ten Rings and what that means. And now Wonder Man is getting tied into it. Like these are all things to keep an eye on because you're like, all right, well, this is all going to be pretty important stuff. Um, all right, well, let's move on to our uh, next topic here. I think, uh, Shannon, you're taking it away. What do you got? Yeah, in terms of epic, epic storytelling, we would be <laughs> remiss not to bring this up. But the remake of 1989's cult classic Roadhouse, which Roadhouse. starred Patrick Hasey and Patrick Swayze and Sam Elliott, is going ahead with none other than Jake Gyllenhaal in the lead what? and Doug Lyman directing with a script from Charles Mondry and Anthony uh, Bagarozzi, who did The Nice Guys. They're doing Doc Savage for Shane Black, or at least they were at one time going to be doing Doc Savage for Shane Black. But for anyone that grew up in the 80s <laughs> that saw this movie, probably not in the theater, you probably <laughs> saw it on VHS or more likely on HBO, you know that Roadhouse holds a special place in people's hearts. And on the backs of all of these 80s movies that did not necessarily need to be remade, Roadhouse is the latest one. But the fact that Doug Liman is doing this, you have to give, you, you know, you can't sleep on it. It's like, all right, Doug Liman's a good storyteller and Jake Gyllenhaal... For better or for worse, like he when he commits to a movie, he commits to a movie. Um, very curious to see how uh, how this one's going to turn out. So, gentlemen, what do you think about uh, Jake Gyllenhaal starring in Roadhouse? I mean, 
look, look at this fan made. I mean, this is perfect. I mean, does this work for you guys? I don't know if this works for you guys. 100%. <laughs> look at that. Uh, I mean, this is the original shot of Swayze there. I mean, all, in all his glory, Patrick Swayze, this is one of those legendary films that Patrick Swayze was a part of. It is super cheese ball, super 80s. And I don't, I'm not excited about this, although I love Doug Lyman because Edge of Tomorrow and uh, I think Mr. and Mrs. Smith and a number of other uh, films that he's directed. I'm a fan of Doug Lyman, but I don't know if I'm excited for this, given who the cast is, who's being cast and all of this. And plus, it's such a distinctly 80s film. Are people still going to road? I mean, like it does. I don't know if I, I know it exists. But do people care to go see a, a sequel for Roadhouse? And this is probably going to be one of those progressive sequels, dare I say, wokes or remakes rather, woke remakes where everyone's saying the right thing. I I don't know. I just I have I have hesitation on this. I like that it's a, a '80s like guilty pleasure. Uh, what are they going to update in 2022 that is going to make it stand out? I, I have hesitation. Uh, what do you say there, Mike? So first, Johnny, you don't want to see the Fantastic Four launched into space. You don't want more dudes in tight denim throwing roundhouse kicks. What else don't you want? Look, I think Jake can pull off a mullet like nobody's business, as we just saw. <laughs> but I don't 100% feel like he's necessarily the right guy. But he's a super intense dude, for sure. Um, and there's a legacy. Patrick Swayze was a musical theater performer, dancer, ballet dancer, and became this certainly Swayze with his Sunday in the Park and George performances and others. There is a legacy here because he is he is terrifying in his anger in Southpaw and unsettling as hell in Nightcrawler. So the man has skills for days. Mike, what do you think about this? I uh, <laughs> uh, I uh, here's something I learned at Hasbro, working at Hasbro, oh, 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 was that like anything can be a great idea. <laughs> Like, like, you know, when you're working at a company and you go in on a Monday morning and yeah. they're like, hey, remember that board game Mousetrap? Figure out an animated oh. series. What could it be? Like, your job is to be like, all right, this is dumb, but yeah. what could we do to make it cool? If it was a different creative team, if it wasn't Lyman, if it, if it, if it wasn't uh, Gyllenhaal, yeah. if it was like, I'd be like, ah, guys, I don't know. It's a very interesting creative team. Like I, I'm kind of with you that I'm like Roadhouse is very 80s and might be best left in the 80s. <laughs> but given the team, I'm like, all right, like show me what you got. Like you can take anything and come up with a take on it that's like completely different or has a different way in. Sometimes you're gonna fall flat on your face. Yeah. But maybe there's something there. I'm not. I wouldn't put myself in the category of excited. Yeah. But I would put myself in the category of, well, that's so fucking crazy. It just might work. <laughs> just might work. I don't really know. I mean, like, I to your point, like, I, I couldn't tell you what a modern day remake of that movie should be. Yeah. Like, I just don't know. Like, there's other things in the 80s that you were like, like Shannon and I talk about this all the time. Like Last Starfighter is a horrible movie from the eighties, but I love it. And it would yeah. be a great reboot for today. You're like, I get what that is. Sure. Roadhouse. I don't, I don't know, <laughs> but, uh, but I'm curious. 
Yeah, Amazon Studios head Jennifer Salke said, not only is it a nod to fans of the original, but it is also a big, fun, broad audience movie. Their their version is going to be that. Roadhouse was not a big, broad, fun audience movie. It was a niche, guilty pleasure for the people who enjoyed it. And some of you who are yelling at me probably right now on the screen saying, I loved it. Yes, you're in the niche that enjoyed it, but it wasn't a big, broad audience movie. Um, and Shannon, this also stars Daniela Melchior, who made her name on the Suicide Squad. There's Ratcatcher 2 and Billy Magnuson, who we just saw recently in something that we really enjoyed as well. So it, I like the cast. I like the director. I just I don't know the spin on how they're going to make this work. If there's anyone that deserves to get their throat ripped out on screen, <laughs> it's Billy Magnuson, <laughs> <laughs> who's who's a dynamite performer. Yeah. You may have seen him in the last Bond film. He was also in a fantastic HBO Max series called Made for Love. Yeah. Um, and also Joel Silver is producing. And as of right now, it is um, scheduled just to stream on Amazon Prime. They want to recapture that <laughs> 1980s glor- VHS gloriousness you're supposed to watch this on the small screen <laughs> we'll see uh, we'll see we y'all. shall see my man we shall see i mean like well, look yeah. we're all gonna watch it <laughs> i mean we're if all gonna I'm, watch it i'm gonna say what you want the screener of it because it's on prime video which i have connections with so but I, so i'm gonna be very interested to see how this thing is gonna come out what were you gonna finish saying mike i'm gonna do i'm gonna do it old school i'm gonna i'm gonna pop some microwave popcorn pour myself a two liter bottle of Coke and order some Pizza Hut like I did when I was a kid and just sit there and take it all in. <laughs> all right, man. You know he's going to be shirtless. You know he's going to be shirtless. So, <sighs> Jake Gyllenhaal shirtless doesn't excite me the way Patrick Swayze shirtless oh, fair excites enough. me. Yeah. My girlfriend is trying to get me to watch Dirty Dancing and we watched a scene or two today on YouTube and I'm like, I, can't, I, can't, I don't know. Wait a minute. What do you mean get you to watch it? You've yeah, I've never seen, seen, seen Dirty Dancing. I'm sorry. <laughs> How long have we been friends? Oh, boy. I am just now Mm. on this show finding (laughs) out that you've never seen possibly one of the best 80s movies of all time. I don't know. That's why John always sits in the corner. No one ever came (laughs) over and said, don't put him there. How have you not seen Dirty Dancing? It's just something that appealed to me at the time, for sure. I didn't have a thing for Jennifer Grey. And a dancing movie set in the Catskills of the 1950s. Great soundtrack, by the way. My sister used to have the soundtrack. I recorded it from cassette to cassette because that's how old I am. But I, I loved the soundtrack, but I never saw the movie. It's her favorite movie. We did a 50-question quiz. She got 49 out of 50 right. That It's insane how well she knows that movie. So at some point, I, I'm going to break uh, and watch that thing. But let's let's move on and but let's move on. But I don't know if I can move on. (laughs) I'm still wrapped up in this. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see. Let's let's move on. But stay in the 80s in a way. And with the Sylvester Stallone news here, uh, this has been really a surprise for me. You all know I'm a massive Sylvester Stallone fan. It's really it's like Tom Cruise and Sly always fighting for number one in my mind. And I and this is one that I'm this is a story that's really confusing for me and a bit um unsettling to be honest with you because i'm seeing sylvester stallone be angry in a way that i've never seen outside of a character he's played in a movie if you've been following his uh, social media especially his instagram he has been going after rocky producer erwin winkler who is in his 90s uh complaining how he doesn't have more of a stake in the rocky franchise more ownership in the rocky franchise 
after all this time, since 1977, I believe, since that movie, the first Rocky came out. So Stallone, just to get the film done, I think signed away a, a large majority of the control of the franchise, but they've always obviously brought him back to play Rocky Balboa. And it's so weird to me that for all these decades, he has never been able to negotiate a better ownership stake that made him happy. This all started a few days ago when they started talking about what they were going to do with this franchise. And so he came out on his Instagram and started going after Erwin Winkler, then went after his sons, uh, who are producers on the Creed uh, films, because his son did a memoir, and he said, this is one of the worst books I've ever read. I use it for toilet paper. That's how deep he got into this. And what sent him even further into that emoji that you see with the head blowing up is they've announced a Dra Ivan Drago spinoff film or series and uh Dolph Lundgren is a part of it and so he tweeted out or he posted on Instagram after Erwin Winkler and the family suck Rocky dry in capital letters presumed to be the most hated untalented decrepit producer in Hollywood and his cowardly children have found their next meal Drago and he said throughout history so many artists in every industry recording painting writing you name it have been destroyed by these bloodsuckers who have destroyed so many families lining their pockets with other people's work. He called them parasitic. And then he went after Dolph Lundgren. And he said, we used to be friends. We, I have nothing but respect for my true friend, Dolph Lundgren. Then when he found out when Lundgren was involved, he said, we used to be friends. And he said, I have lost all my respect for Dolph Lundgren. So this is a really kind of sad state of affairs that are happening here. And I, I understand to a degree why Stallone is doing this. He has seen this as a cash. He wants to see this as a cash cow for his kids. And maybe his kids having a certain control of how Rocky Balboa is portrayed. For if, God forbid, when he passes, they do a reboot of Rocky Balboa and recast it, which we've seen already with a number of iconic characters. I mean, Captain Kirk has been recast twice now since William Shatner is still alive. And William Shatner is still alive. So I, Jennifer, hear, what, I hear that Jake Gyllenhaal is going to be in a roadhouse reboot. <laughs> Yeah, well, at least Swayze's passed on. But, you know, Stallone is still walking around. What do you gentlemen think about this? And are there no friends in Hollywood? I mean, Dolph, so, I mean, Dolph, it's not like people banging down Dolph's door aside from, uh, uh, what, Old Spice. So, I mean, like, this is a nice move for him, maybe? What do you guys think? <sighs> you know, it, it's it's difficult to really say without knowing the the particulars of what Stallone actually does get from Rocky. Um, you know, yeah. as, as a young filmmaker, when you're trying to get that first thing made, there are uh, concessions yeah. that you have to make. And I mean, George Lucas very wisely worked that deal, having a little more experience in the studio system with THX right. 1138 and American Graffiti. Like he he worked that system to his advantage. Yeah. Stallone was not in that position when they made the movie. I mean, it sounds if I no, correct me if I'm wrong here, John, but the big thing was he wanted to star in it and he wanted to direct. Yes. It. Yes. And he he was paid seventy five thousand dollars, got 10 net points for that film and made two point five million off Rocky at right. that time, which is a lot of money at that time in 1977. But he's been unable to push for more ownership. So just to get it done, he had to sacrifice certain things. So you can argue, Shannon, though, but like over the years, he is Rocky. He's written sure. and directed a number of the films that have been successful in that franchise. Uh, and he's trying to default to this idea that, well, there was a code of conduct in the past, not so much now. So I don't know. It seems odd. So sorry, I Shannon. I mean, you, under you understand his point of view, that this, right. this did not happen without me. 
but it's also the cost of doing business sometimes yeah. that this doesn't happen without some of those concessions being made to the poor Dolph Lundgren, as you said, like Dolph just wants to work. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, he, he's not, he's never been a major star. Like they tried yeah. to make him a major star in the wake of Rocky four. It didn't take. So no. he just, he just wants to work. And the idea that you have a, uh, a creative team that wants to center a project around you. It's, yeah. it's difficult to turn that down. And so, like, I imagine he would love to have had Stallone's blessing. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I mean, it sounds like uh, Lundgren's not going to show up in Expendables 4 if well, that if that ends up happening. Did they shoot I that? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. You know, because he said, keep Stallone said, I wish he had told me what was going on behind my back. Keep your real friends close. But then uh, Dolph Lundgren just posted uh, earlier about an hour ago or two hours ago. He said, just set the record straight. There are, there's no proof script, no deals in place, no director. And I was under impression of uh, the impression that my friend Sly Stallone was involved as a producer. There was a press leak, which was unfortunate. I'm in touch with Mr. Balboa, so all the fans can relax. There you go. But I don't know, Mike. That seems like a little bit of face saving. Because, I mean, this is rem reminiscent of the supernatural situation with Jansen Ackles kind of going behind homies back to do that, which he admitted he apologized for and, and, and atoned for. But it seems odd that Dolph wouldn't reach out to Sly until after this thing became a big deal. Here's what I think. <laughs> I think that this is the perfect example of old people should not be on social media. <laughs> I think is just like, look, we all have those family members that post some shit on Facebook and you are just like, what are you doing? <laughs> and look, I do. I think that, that Salome, <laughs> you know, has a legitimate gripe. Sure. Do I also think that Stallone throughout the past, you know, 30, 40 years has had plenty of time to sort of, and clout and money to sort of try and work this out probably. Yeah. But to Shannon's point, I don't know the particulars of this because I'm not in it. Right. And so what I don't need is Sylvester Stallone going on social media and telling me what books are toilet paper and who his friends are. Like, you don't need to post that. Like, post post a video of you working out. Post me a video of your grandkids. Like, send me a funny cat meme. Like, I'm good. I am just scrolling through my day, and I don't need this. I don't know the details. I don't want to know the details. Keep it off social media. That's for sure. That's for sure. So we'll see what happens. But look. Uh, the Creed films have been damn good. Uh, Creed 3 has been pushed back to, I think, the spring of next year now. Mm. It was going to come out in November of this year, but they pushed it to the spring. And if this Drago thing pops off, as a avid Rocky fan, I'm not against it. You know, sometimes outside voices, dare I say this, better directors, better writers coming in can give you a whole new angle on a character as we saw in the first Creed film which I thought was excellent with Kugler and getting involved in writing it. So it does, I think this is all about money, but it doesn't mean they're going to ruin the characters. They could actually enrich the characters even more with new points of views and new approaches, especially to keep it current with uh, the 2022, 2024, 2025 people uh, uh, who might be, or 2023 people who might be watching this stuff. That's, I think that's super important and it's smart move by a producer. And yes, creatives can get mad all they want, but if you, you know, it's it's a dirty business, Hollywood, and you got to take care of yourself. 
And this idea of a gentleman's agreement, in my mind, doesn't hold water. It really doesn't. Because Salone has been ruthless in the past at times in getting what he wanted in the 80s and 90s when he was at the apex of his popularity. So it seems odd that he wouldn't use that cachet to try. I think he kind of let this one go now, and it's a little bit of sour grapes. But as Michael said, none of us have been in the room. We haven't seen the contracts. We don't know the particulars. So but that just, just seems odd. Just don't. It, I think just like it's, we need just like at a certain age, you're not allowed on social media. Stop. Don't, don't, don't post. Don't post. Your, don't, I think I'm still don't post your opinions. It's like, it's like when you post, it's like, it's like when you go on Facebook and you're like, and you're like, Oh my dad. Hey guys, check out this new strawberry shortcake video that I just posted. And then like your aunt posts in the comments, she's like, I wanted you to know about this thing that happened. And like, you're not even talking about the post. Like, do you know how Facebook works? Like, just don't stay off. Don't go on there. This is great, Mikey, but you're anti-Sheryl. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, now that we've spent 42 minutes on our opening segment, let's take a quick break and get into our main topic, uh, which is uh, the Andor trailer that just dropped a few day, a couple of days ago, breaking it all down and giving our overall thoughts on what we might be getting from this 12-episode season coming up here on September 21st. We'll be right back right after this. I wasn't sure you were going to go for the Rogue One theme, and you did, and I think you pulled it off. <laughs> I think you pulled it off. Every once in a while. Very well done. Very well done. Well, as I said here, the first full trailer for Andor dropped a couple of months ago. We got a teaser trailer coming out of Star Wars Celebration, but this was the first Full trailer for Andor, uh, that is, of course, a spinoff of Rogue One, a Star Wars story, but a prequel spinoff here telling the story of how Cassian went from a disenfranchised, or Cassian, however you want to say it, disenfranchised, uh, um, what can you say, uh, son of, it seems like, he said it's a migrant story, so disenfranchised young man who kind of stumbles upon the madness of the Empire and eventually becomes a, rebel, a, a member of the Rebellion here, uh, and this trailer showcase the full breadth i believe of what we're going to get in this series it was about two and a half minutes and it was let me just go on first and just say it was absolutely jaw-droppingly fantastic i mean just so what john roca himself wants to see from star wars it was gritty political stuff was involved espionage was involved the, the look of it all was incredible. The cinematography, the visuals, the different set pieces, the different locations look, look very lived in and exciting to explore. The costumes, the overall vibe of it. We're getting the fat cat of the fat cats of the empire combined with the younger, more hungrier members of the empire going against this rebellion. The, the rebels here. We're seeing Saw Gerrera. We're seeing Saw Gerrera coming back. Forrest Whitaker, yeah, you maybe didn't like her in Rogue One. Guess what? He's still going to play the role, damn it. And I'm excited about that. So there's there's connections to the Clone Wars in that way. So there's so much here to explore and enjoy. And, of course, Diego Luna as a Latino leading the way gets me even more excited. Plus, we get a whole new droid that got introduced in that one as well that is already out for people to buy on Lego and people to go get already toys of. Uh, and it was announced that this series will drop on September 21st with a three-episode debut. So, gentlemen, now that I'm done talking and out of breath, talk to me. What did you guys think about this Andor trailer? What stood out to you? How did it work for you? What do you anticipate we'll be getting from this uh, first season of the show? I mean, looking back at the involvement of Tony Gilroy in Rogue One, bringing yeah. him in to kind of um, 
rework a few things. Yeah. And then seeing that this is sort of a natural continuation of that dynamic of that partnership of Tony Gilroy with Star Wars, because, you know, he according to Tony Gilroy, he had he had no connection. He had no love for Star Wars prior to Rogue One, which is why he felt he was able to go in and do a pretty good job because he wasn't really beholden to anything. He was just trying to tell a really good story in this universe that was established. Um, So watching even just from the teaser, you get a sense that this is a different type of Star Wars than we've gotten in the past. I mean, it's mm. very Rogue One. I mean, there's a lot of political intrigue. You get a sense of the espionage. I mean, it seems like this is a very uh, mature take on Star Wars because even though, like, we know about this time period and we've gotten, uh, you know, sort of at the end of Clone Wars, you see where we're going. This is where this is where we're kind of really delving into it. And yeah. you know, they did with Obi Wan as well. But this one, even just from a technical standpoint, the fact that they did shoot so much on location and everything does look to be a little more practical. I mean, they, they've talked about uh, shooting in, at uh, Pinewood mm-hmm. in England, like these massive sets, these, you know, just and, and even their exteriors where I guess they shot partly in Scotland. I mean, and it's yeah. all up on the screen. And I think there is a there's a tactile feel to to this project that has maybe not been as there uh, as much with some of the other uh, Disney plus star Wars uh, series. And they've talked about like the stagecraft, the volume, uh, apparently they didn't really use it for this, Man. that Tony wow. Gilroy had more of an interest of shooting this on location, I trying know. to make this as real and as practical as possible. And it looks like it's going to be, it looks like it's going to be great. And I mean, you know, we'll find out in September, but the fact that we're getting three episodes right up front, that is so, yeah, that is just, so exciting and just again dealing with this more mature take on it because george lucas has famously said like he made star wars for young people yeah and and that has carried over like he made the prequels for young people they tried to make the new trilogy for you know again for young people yeah this seems to be the first project that it's like this is for the people that were young when they saw star wars but now this seems like it's probably a little more grown up and based off of these two and a half minutes it looks it looks pretty great. I like that. Michael, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, we get Denise Goff coming in. If you have, if you all have seen Under the Banner of Heaven, she's fantastic in that film. We get that actor who's from Game of Thrones as well coming in as a member of the Empire. We see them wearing the whites that we saw Orson Critic wear in Rogue One. We're seeing the Death Troopers, the black de- all black Death Troopers there behind Denise Goff in one of the scenes. We're seeing a gutted out Empire, uh, Empire ship. We're seeing uh, possibly the Planet of Fest that Cashin was born in with a Star Destroyer coming up. We're seeing TIE Fighters. We're seeing all kinds of things here. And we're hearing Cashin say, I'm just tired of losing. So, I mean, what stood out to you? What really caught your attention? What do you feel coming out of this first official trailer? Um, I do think there is sort of a grounding reality to this that has been lacking a little bit. And I do think, look, I, I love the volume. We talk about it all the time. Like when we all found out about the volume and what it could do, like it really is probably one of the biggest uh, technical jumps forward for movie making True. Uh, since the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. Like it is a huge leap forward in what is possible. Um, but just like what happened with Jurassic Park, uh, post Jurassic Park with CG effects, if you rely on only CG effects and that's all, sometimes you lose a little bit of the reality. I mean, that's why Jurassic Park is so magical because it's CG mixed with Stan Winston's practical effects. And I think there's an argument to be made that with the Star Wars TV series, maybe there's a little bit of an over-reliance on the volume. And I think that's what makes 
this trailer really stand out so much. Like, it's not like there's not CG being used in this trailer. Right. But because they really are in some real, real actual locations, it just feels bigger. It feels grander in some yeah. ways. Um, I, I do think George Lucas is kind of laughing a little bit wherever he is up in his ranch. Because when those prequels came out and everybody was like, oh, God, all of this politics is really weighing down Star Wars. Star Wars is supposed to be about good guys and bad guys fighting in space with space swords. We don't want all this politics. And I got to tell you, it's really the politics that is winning in Star Wars in the past 20 years. I mean, through Clone Wars and everything else, like I think there was a distinct lack of politics in the new trilogy. Um, And I think this looks intensely political um in addition in addition to everything with cassian kind of like stepping into the rebellion and seeing him as sort of like he's like they have said like it's like this migrant story uh at the opposite ends of things you have genevieve o'reilly playing uh mon mothma on coruscant getting political yeah i mean this is like there is a there is a an, an excitement um not just a tolerance but an actual excitement uh to see Mon Mothma sort of dealing with the Senate and dealing with what's going on and all of the ins and outs and the political intrigue as she is starting to realize that you probably can't change the empire from the inside and you have to make some bigger moves. Even um, Forrest Whitaker coming back as Saw Gerrera. You know, yeah. this is a young, it's a little bit of a younger Saw. He doesn't have the limp. His eyes are both good. Like he is, there is a, there is a lot that's going to happen between where Saw Gerrera is in this trailer and where we see him in Rogue One. Yeah. Uh, and it's really interesting. You know, you have you have a character like Saw Gerrera who was the first to really be like, I'm going to get violent. I'm going to bring it to the Empire. While you had Mon Mothma and others trying to change things from the inside or saying you're too extreme for us. And so to have those two pieces while Cassian is kind of figuring out where he fits into this and kind of seeing how the rebellion began, yeah. uh, it's all political. It's all it's all it's all the shit that everybody says Star Wars never was, but it really always was. And I think there's just an excitement to all of it. I think it does feel like a natural uh, it feels like it's part of the Rogue One part of the Star Wars universe for sure. And look, Star Wars fans can barely agree on anything. But I think one (laughs) thing that the majority of Star Wars fans do agree on is that Rogue One is 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 up there as one of the better. It's like it's. I come back to Rogue One more often than I come back to a lot of other Star Wars movies. Yeah. Uh, I would put, I mean, depending on the day, I would have a hard time be choosing choosing between Strikes Back and Rogue One. I really would, depending on the mood I have that day. Those two are always vying. Those are my top two favorites for sure because of the political intrigue within Rogue One. And I still, one day, if I ever became president of the universe, I would force Disney to give me the original cut of Rogue One so I could watch that thing even if it's by myself in the presidential movie theater, because I would love to see that version and compare it to the version we got and enjoy an even darker approach that probably was there uh, in that version for sure. But, you know, Michael, the thing in Shannon, we get Stellan Skarsgård doing the age old thing of which side is he playing both? Is he a double agent? Is he a part of the rebellion? Is he part of the empire? Is he messing with cash? And is he messing with the, with the empire? What side of the fence is he on? And we get that shot of the Imperial Senate I don't, I'm not the biggest prequel person, but I always love the design of the Senate. And when it showed up again, I absolutely mar- I was DiCaprio. Oh, that was DiCaprio for that shit because it was such a great yeah. shot. 
But the visuals here, man, I mean, we're seeing this story of Cashin and what he's going through. We're seeing his progression. The shot, when we see the start of the story, that could be his dad who's looking up, could be another person, a member of his of his, of his his uh, people there, but it could be his dad looking up and seeing the start of the story for the first time. Him seeing as a young child the devastation, him sneaking in through that um, hexagonal uh, thing to go inside that empire uh, facility and seeing all the technology there, what that must have done to his mind, because it looks like there are more tools-oriented, ground-based uh, 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 people there on his planet. So what what was that uh, feeling like? So there's so much here that I think is going to be fascinating to explore as well. Uh, and, and thoughts, uh, any other thoughts here we got, Shannon or Mike? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, you know, you mentioning that shot of the uh, of the Star Destroyer. I mean, yeah. there is something that, and again, I think it started with Rogue One. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. If this this popped up in in a video game, but seeing uh, a Star Destroyer within a planet's atmosphere, um, like backlit by by a day sky. I mean, there is such an ominous nature to that. And then, you know, with the uh, individual that you spoke about, John, who was watching that, you know, basically that Star Destroyer shot that we got from episode four, but this time again, inside, inside a planet's atmosphere on the planet, on the the, the ground of the planet, there is just such an unbeatable foe aspect to that visual. And I think that's where the galaxy is right now. I mean, the empire has won. And, you know, really the uh, rebellion doesn't, doesn't start until the uh, until Rogue One. And so knowing that they are so back on their heels, it just makes it just makes for good storytelling. I mean, that struggle that our leads are going to have to go through. And you see that it's a battle being fought on several fronts because does Cassian meet Mon, Mon Mothma or are they just on polar opposites of the galaxy right now? I mean, it just it just seems like it's going to be an exciting story. Yeah, and I love what you said, Michael. I mean, we're seeing Saw Gerrera here, as you said, without all the injuries. So a lot of people had issues with how he was presented in Rogue One. Now we're going to see over these two seasons, because the second season will cover four years of time in one season, how this all comes about for Saw. So that's going to be a fascinating subplot to, to follow, depending on how recurring he is in the story here, how the different pieces of him get destroyed as his anger and his frustration and his vitriol builds towards the empire. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I mean, it just uh, presumably like, I mean, Forrest Whitaker might is, is going to be in for the long haul. I mean, I don't yeah. know what, what kind of a role saw is going to play, but to your point and to Shannon's point, rogue one takes place just right up. Like, you know, touching butt cheeks with a new hope. Like they are right <laughs> on top of each other. And so we know where they all end up. Yeah. But yeah this season and then the next season, which covers four years, I mean, that's a lot of territory. What I'm really curious about, and I don't actually know what my preference would be, Star Wars, you know, can sometimes feel a little bit like an echo chamber, the same characters showing up over and over and over again. And like, oh, to your point, it's like, it's just the Leonardo DiCaprio meme over and over and over. You know, if this series given this season where it's at and then getting into uh, the uh, the next four years and like building the rebellion into what it's going to be like what characters might we see and is Gilroy interested in playing that Star Wars cameo game because like we know look Star Wars Rebels uh really covers a lot of the territory of building the rebellion I mean Mon Mothma shows up in Rebels Bail Organa shows up in Rebels Saw Gerrera voiced by Forrest Whitaker shows up in Rebels we know that a lot of those Rebels characters are about to be seen in live action in the Ahsoka series we know that Ahsoka Tano 
was pretty integral in sort of connecting these different rebel cells together because she did that as Fulcrum in Rebels. And in watching The Bad Batch, it really seems like those guys are on their way to joining the rebellion. And we know that Rex in Bad Batch shows up and is starting to put some small cells together to fight back against the Empire. Then he shows up in Rebels, and we know he fights in the Battle of Endor. So there's a lot in the history that we're diving into right now, and in a series that really looks like it's going to take a more serious, grounded, gritty view of how this all came to be. Yeah. Do you want to see Rex and Ahsoka and Hera and all of these other characters pop in and out? Or... Do we want to keep this a little bit clean and have it be its own story? I, I, it'll be interesting to see which route they take. I kind of want it to be clean without those characters popping in, or if they pop in, maybe for one episode to kind of, uh, you know, take a breath from some of the building tension and suspense, suspense going on through the series. You know, kind of take a little bit of a break with a side adventure with Ahsoka or a side adventure with someone else who's popping up. It could be very interesting for sure. Um, you know, and you're watching these scenes of, uh, of um, was it, Lu- oh, I forget his name, uh, Luthen, Luthen Rail, that's who Stellan Skarsgård is playing. You're seeing these scenes that he's like schooling or guiding Cashin out of being just a rebel who is stealing money from the Empire. He's trying to guide him into do something a little bit better, which we of course see um, uh, Cassian try to do with Jin in Rogue One, kind of show her there's a, there's more to fight for here. So we're seeing how he becomes this voice to kind of recruit other people as well. But then we see him when he puts the hair on playing some kind of dignitary with Mon Mothma. Are they in cahoots? Do they know that both of them are kind of working behind the scenes? Or are they working together behind the scenes and then portraying these characters out front for the Empire to see? And Mon Mothma saying, you know, as long as I'm an irritation, they'll, you know, I'll be able to hang around or be able to do certain things. So this feels like there's a lot of moving pieces that are going to be fascinating to explore. And with 24 episodes, that speaks vo- That's more than any Disney Plus or Star Wars series has done so far per season, 12 per season. It's exciting. It's really, yeah. really exciting to see how much more they're going to flesh out this world as a foundational piece of Star Wars. Another thing that I was curious about, uh, yeah. and I just wonder when it'll happen, um, you know, we didn't see any of K2SO. Yes. Yes. He's not in, right. he wasn't well, in the teaser the or the trailer. Season. Right, right. Uh, is that, yeah, is he just a second season thing? Like, where does that come in? Like, I like that. You know, I mean, I, you know, people have different opinions on K2SO. I love him. He's one of my favorite droids. And, uh, and so seeing where that relationship forms up, uh, I think will be, will be really, really interesting. Um, you know, and Jimmy Smith's, you know, Jimmy Smith's you was used really well in uh, Obi-Wan yeah. and Jimmy Smith's and Mon Mothma. I mean, you know, like in, there was that, there's that deleted scene from, uh, from Revenge of the Sith mm. where you do see Mon Mothma and Jimmy Smith's talking to Padme about kind of starting the rebellion. And I mean, in the canon of Star Wars, Mon Mothma and, uh, Bail Organa are kind of key figures in, kind of trying to get things through in the Senate, but then realizing that that's not going to fly. So right. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw him as well at some point. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think, look, I, I, I do think that I have a feeling, and I think a lot of people have this feeling, it's not just me, but I have a <laughs> feeling this is going to be the Star Wars one to beat. I think beyond, uh, Mandalorian, you know, kind of got us off to a great start and everybody loves Mando, everybody loves Grogu. I think Boba Fett and Obi-Wan both 
have their moments, but yeah. didn't necessarily reach the heights that everyone had hoped that it would reach, even though yeah. I think both have a lot of really nice things to say about them and both have some problems with them. Um, and just based on these trailers, this looks like it's something different. Yeah. Shannon, any final words on this? Um, not on this, okay. but, uh, yeah, do you, you want to break this? Yeah. Yeah. So a friend of ours, Mr. Jonathan Gabay just sent us a link to an article for the New York post. And the title of said article is irredeemable Batgirl movie gets shelved by Warner brothers, despite 70 million price tag. And before Shannon goes forward, just to let you know, the rap has confirmed this. So it's not just the New York post, the rap and industry website by Sharon Waxman has confirmed this. So go ahead, Shannon. Yeah, this is, we're seeing this breaking as we're recording this. Go ahead, Shannon. Well, I mean, the it says the DC Comics film Batgirl will be completely shelved by Warner Brothers. A top Hollywood source told The Post that means it won't hit theaters or the streaming service HBO Max. Fans will not see it. The reportedly $70 million movie, the source of the budget was actually more than 100 million. 90 million, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. was doing test screenings for audiences in anticipation of a late 2022 debut, <laughs> debut would rank among the most expensive cinematic cast-offs ever. Wow. Um, the tests were said to be so poorly received by moviegoers that the studio decided to cut its losses and run for the sake of the brand's future. They think an unspeakable Batgirl is going to be irredeemable. Goodness. Wow. I mean, there's more to this article. Again, it's up, up at the New York Post, and apparently it's up at the Wrap as well. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, wow, that's uh, this is, pretty big news. This is heartbreaking it, for a number of reasons. One, I mean, Zaslav has been out here skeet shooting uh, a number of um, shows. And, uh, you know, I've seen a number of Latino shows go down at his hands. The Gordita Chronicles being one of the most recent ones on HBO Max. They got a lot of love from a lot of people here. And now we're putting a Latino-led, Latina-led Batgirl film on the shelf. Leslie Grace coming out of In the Heights, leading this one as Barbara Gordon. $90 million, as Shannon said, possibly $100 million. This is fascinating. But the Flash one can't go on the shelf and start over again? This is just, to me, this is mind-blowing to me. It's only an extra $100 million. What's $100 million between studios? I just, I don't, I, this is mind-blowing to me, and it's heartbreaking on so many levels because how bad is it really? I mean, where are these test screenings? Usually test screenings are bad. You can fix things in post or re-edit or reshoot. Is it that far down the pike that they wouldn't even put this thing out? And you look at Sony with those 90-minute bombs they keep putting out from Venom and Morbius, and they're making oh. money hand over fist. So why wouldn't you take a chance and put this out and see what happens? Mike, what are your thoughts on Because apparently it's that bad. <laughs> I mean, like 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 that kind of you I mean, to 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 take what you said but give you the opposite side of it. Yeah. Hollywood will put out some pretty bad movies and sometimes they make a lot of money. Yeah. So for them to for them to put to take all those millions of dollars that they spent and say, "No, ma'am, this is not even worth it." It's got to be pretty bad. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, look, to the to the, to the the flash of it all, we have no idea how good or bad that movie is. Yeah. We, no, sure. we might all agree that none of us necessarily want to see Ezra Miller running around in that costume anymore, yeah. but that doesn't mean the movie's bad. Yeah. Um, this was a, like, for, for you to come out of a screening and go, this is irredeemable. Um for a company, and particularly to your point about Zaslav, like, look, Zaslav's not a creative so much as he's a nickel and dime guy. He's like, a nickel and dime if they've guy. Already, right? If they've already spent this money, yeah, 
there's definitely an argument to be made. Well, you spent the money, put it up. At least you're going to get some views. People are going to be excited. But like, this is more of a long-term, like for the future of the Bat franchise and where we might want to take things and what we might want to do with these characters, we just got to not do this. Yeah, and the other part of this, why not even put it on the streaming service? It just seems odd to not even put it on the stream. You don't necessarily have to call it canon. The Joker's not canon. Joker movie's well, not canon within the overall, the Batman's doing its own thing. Why can't Batgirl kind of do its own thing? But I mean, Keaton was supposed to show up in that one, right? The rumors were Keaton was showing up, so. I, I think if, if the idea was oh. for it to be interconnected in some capacity, because Keaton was involved, J.K. Yeah. Simmons was involved, if you looking at the long game of what they're doing, because you look at DC's catalog, and the one character that does consistently perform well is Batman, and... If if it if they're thinking long term, like this is going to hurt more than help, in the wake of what they're trying to, to trying to decide to do with the Flash, which Michael Keaton is also very very involved yeah, in. True. So if ultimately it's like if it's going to hurt it more than help it, maybe yeah. we I mean, write look, this off. I and look, I like it. Just DC just can't seem to catch a break. But uh, I would argue knowing something is bad and putting it out anyway is a worse idea for DC in the long run than saying, fuck, we got to cut our losses and not do this. Like DC's biggest issue is that they have a bunch of stuff out there that doesn't really fit together and doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And it's really confusing. And arguably, depending on your opinions, some of it is pretty bad. Some of it is good. Some of it, you know, like it runs the whole gamut, but a lot of their stuff that's really good doesn't connect to the bigger universe. And a lot of the stuff that there's that is bad kind of screws up the universe and doesn't really know. So if this was just going to be one more in that category, uh, I, you know, I, it sucks. I'm disappointed because I love Batgirl. I was super excited about this. I was, I was really intrigued by where they were going to go with it and what it was going to be, but uh, it looks like it's not going to be anything now. It, I, I do really just think, you know, and look, Marvel doesn't bat a thousand. We all have our opinion on a true. lot of the phase four stuff, but there's a consistency to their stuff yeah. and there's a bigger picture to their stuff. And DC just still feels, and look, it's not even just DC's fault. It's not that there's anything wrong with these characters. These characters are just as good and vibrant and interesting as anything that Marvel has. But Warner brothers and DC just have never really seemed to, figure it all out. And the Zaslav piece is just kind of making it more difficult. Uh, So yeah, I think they're, they're in a rough spot right now, man. Well, and also despite this, that two different outlets are reporting this, nothing's official until Warner brothers Mm -hmm. says it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, they're, you know, we this don't be a hell of a backtrack though. I mean, the, the rap doesn't I, necessarily irresponsibly post 100%. But yeah. I mean, until, until you hear it from, from the actual source, yeah. you have to take everything with a little bit of a grain of salt, but despite, but I mean, two sources are reporting it, which yeah. when there's smoke, there's fire. But again, it's not official official until Warner brothers says so. Yeah. I True. just texted my co-host on the hot mic, Jeff, cause he's got all those sources all over town to find out if it's actually a hundred percent true from the studio to find out if he's got uh, information there as well. The other side, real quick, and, and some of you might get pissed off when I say this, but I'm mad because as a Latina actress getting a shot to lead a film like this, do you keep her? If the problem wasn't her, you keep Leslie Grace's Batgirl and get some better people to make a film around her. Because if you recast this with a white woman, this is going to be an issue. I'm just putting it out there. 
So to me, that's a little frustrating on so many levels. You say he's not a creative person, Mike. It doesn't mean he doesn't have opinions. And so he could have come in and been like, this isn't working. This isn't what I like. Get rid of it. So I'm just concerned yeah. about it overall. And I and I, if the movie is not her fault that it's bad, then you better keep Leslie Grace as Batgirl and get some better directors and writers to have another shot at this thing. But usually they throw out the baby with the bathwater. So I, I, it would also, be a shame. Maybe, also, maybe she's bad. Yeah, and if she's bad, and look, I think, and, I, and, and by the way, be, I think she was, be. I think she was absolutely fantastic in *In the Heights*. So this so is not any kind of like I thought she was one of yeah. the best parts of that movie. So I think she's a great actress, but I'm just saying, like, yeah, we got a bunch of conjecture, and none of us know what that is. Like, yeah. none of I mean, us know why it's bad, or what was bad right. about it, or right. what wasn't working. So, you know, it's just. I mean, Halle Berry won an Oscar, and she was not good in *Catwoman*. So I mean, it's it's certainly possible. Yeah, it's true. that is very true. <laughs> So I don't know. I just it, it does suck in general. Um, you know, a lot of people are big fans of Batgirl. Uh, a lot of people were really excited to see a Latina actress play Batgirl. Yeah. It, it sounded like it was going to be like a really interesting take on everything. Um, everything about the project, from the images that were released to the story that it seemed like they were telling, it seemed like everybody was really excited about every piece of it. So the fact that it just didn't seemingly didn't come together is it's a bummer on many, many levels. Let me ask you guys one last question. I know we got to run because we were already over late, but um, Batgirl was not talked about at the DC panel in Hall H. Well, now we Blue know Blue Beetle was not talked about at the DC panel in Hall H. Is Blue Beetle next to possibly get the axe? Will it, will they ax two Latino led superhero projects? Is that possible? And is that the reason they didn't talk about either of these films or shows at the DC panel. If I was on the Blue Beetle creative team, I would be very nervous right now. <laughs> and, and you say that Mike says that as as someone who's like, been in the halls of like executives, you, been an executive you know, you don't, in those halls. So yeah. If you're if you're working on Blue Beetle and you're just doing your shit and you're going about your day and your friends start texting you these Batgirl articles. I think the math that you just did on yeah. what was and wasn't announced at Comic-Con would be at the forefront of my mind. And I would be calling a bunch of people and being like, the fuck is going on? Are we okay? Shit, man. Shit. All right. Well, let that be the final word. We shall see what happens with that. <laughs> at least we have Andor coming uh, at September 21st. There are three episodes. Get ready for that. Of course, we'll be covering that series uh, on this uh, Geek Buddy show. Hopefully, we'll get Laura to join us again, which would be a lot of fun. To break it down with her as well uh, all right well that's our geek buddies episode thank you all so much for joining us we appreciate it madly uh what do we got to tell them shannon yeah i'd like to follow us on social media on twitter it's at geek underscore buddies on instagram at the underscore geek underscore buddies you'd like to follow me on social media on twitter it's at shannon underscore mcclung on instagram at shannon the geek buddy if you would like to follow mr vogel it is at mk dune if you would like to follow mr roca it is at the roca says mikey well, look, as you guys can tell, it is real dramatic over here at the Geek Buddies. <laughs> you never know what's going to happen. Things are going crazy all over the place. Just it's, it's a wild, wild ride. And if you are enjoying the ride and you want to continue to ride this crazy geek train, here's some stuff that you guys can do to help us out. Uh, definitely hit that like button below. Um, subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page. Check out all the awesome content that he's got. Leave your comments below. Uh, 
What do you think of Andor? What do you think of Batgirl? What do you think about Nichelle Nichols? What do you think about Rocky? And what do you think about, most importantly, <laughs> Roadhouse? Uh, and what do you think about Phase 4 of the MCU? Phase 5, Phase 6, the multiverse arc? Let us know your thoughts on everything below. Um, if you're listening to us on Spotify or uh, Apple Podcasts or anywhere podcasts are available, go ahead and leave us some comments. Leave us some stars. Helps us go up in the rankings. And if you uh, are watching us on YouTube right now, the best thing that you guys can do is retweet this video. Post it on your socials uh, unless you've reached that age where you should not be on social media. And in that case, just leave it alone uh, and send it to your friends uh, and let everybody know that you want them to hang out with your buddies, the Geek Buddies. Go and big thanks also to carbonhealth.com who powers and sponsors the Geek Buddies and the Outlaw Nation. Really appreciate them being on board with us and being a supportive part of our community. If you have any healthcare questions, concerns, or needs, head on over to carbonhealth.com and see if they've got a clinic near you or virtual care that they can offer you. Sometimes you can get day of appointments, ladies and gentlemen. That's right, day of appointments. That's stuff to do nowadays. You can get that. Uh, and they've got 125 plus locations all over the country, 80 plus locations in California alone, doing the COVID testing, doing all kinds of help for you and building specific healthcare plans for you and your healthcare needs. So go and visit them at carbonhealth.com or download their app so you can have a doctor in your pocket or a doc in your pocket, the kids say nowadays. All right, y'all take care of yourselves, be well. And we'll talk to you next time with another brand new episode here of the Geek Buddies. The thing that I fought tooth and nail to bring my son into is Dungeons and Dragons. That is the ultimate solution to parenthood. I'm Alexis Ohanian. In my podcast, Business Dad, I'm hoping to open up the conversation about balancing careers and family. I talked to Rain Wilson. I wanted to learn more about Rain's advice to play D&D with your kids. Business Dad is available now, so be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 